Galatians chapter 6, we're going to finish it up today. Um, Galatians, what a book. I have grown immensely in my relationship with the Lord by reading through it, by teaching through it. A lot of things I did not understand, uh, I now feel like I have a better understanding. Um, And that's the way it should be, shouldn't it? How many of you have arrived? (laughs) Definitely not me. And I can even see that in Paul. And his writings, I think uh, when you look at his early ministry in Mars Hill, you'll see uh, him hanging out there and trying to appeal to the intellect of a bunch of Greeks. And then you see years later, he says, you know, I reckon in my heart just to come before you in total weakness, just preaching Christ and him crucified. And so I think we're all on a a journey, so to speak, and the Lord is bringing us uh, to a, a more full knowledge of Him, a more full revelation of who He is. And I just love Paul and how he's defending the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, that our salvation is not based upon works, but is based upon the promise, based upon the promise of all that He has done for us through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins. It's not based upon works. It's not based upon what church you've gone to and all these types of things. It's based upon His work upon the cross and the church that He formed when He died on the cross and sent His Spirit into us. And so that's where Paul is is drawing the line. And so he's been talking to a bunch of legalists who come into the church and say, great, Wonderful, glad you have faith in Jesus. Now you need to be circumcised. Now you start, need to start worshiping on certain days. You need to start doing certain things in order to be saved. And Paul says, no. We're no longer a people who are under the law for righteousness. That whole thing has passed away. The purpose of the law was to point us to faith in Jesus. And now that we are in, in Christ, we are new creations. We are no longer governed, ruled by the law. We are ruled by the Spirit, the new law, the love of God, the the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us. And so what would happen is the legalist would say to the church, well, what is going to happen to the church if you are not under the law of Moses? They're going to go berserk. They're going to go crazy. And Paul is saying, not so, not if they have the Spirit of God in them governing them. If they're born again, Romans 8, you can check that out. And so he says, we are not, uh, those who are Christ have, have crucified their passions and the desires. We're no longer to be ruled by the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, 17 through 20 something. We're not going to be ruled by those types of things. We're going to be ruled by the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. I always forget like two of them, self-control. It says, and the like. So it's not a, an exhaustive list. So those are the things that are going to be marking us more and more every day as we walk with Jesus. He's going to be refining us, making us more like Jesus every day as we walk with him. And I don't know about you, but the longer I walk with the Lord, I realize the more he's saved me from. And I'm asking for more of that, more of, more of his spirit, more of his grace. And so in chapter 6, verse 1, by way of recap, he just says, this is how it's going to look, church. This is how that practical uh, new relationship with God is going to work. And he's speaking to a specific people in a specific church. He's going to say, this is what it's going to look like. People are concerned that you're going to be lawless. No, you're going to actually be under the law of love. And this is what the love looks like. And he starts in 6.1. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But it says, brothers and sisters, 
If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. We talked about that last week. So the very first thing he says to the church is, hey, now that you have this incredible freedom in Christ, guess what you're going to use it to do? You're going to serve one another in love. That's what Jesus would do, and that's exactly what he did. And so if his spirit's in you, it's going to look very similar. And so the first thing Jesus did, as we see, is he went and found sinners and pulled them out. And how did he do that? He did it gently. And he did it with great humility. But he didn't neglect the sin that was going on. He spoke directly to it. Go and sin no more. All these different circumstances he would speak to. But that is a a practical application of us, church, is to see one another. And when we're in the Spirit, we're going to see people who are not in the Spirit. And it is our calling to go get in their lives. It is your calling. And now I know that people, we're not to be sin sniffers. That's not what we're going to be going to do, right? Go find out what's, hey, what's that? That's a legal relationship when you're just looking for dirt, right? But as you're there and you're in body life and we're hanging out and you bump into people who are in the flesh, we're to go to that person as we have already looked at ourselves and said, gosh, what a mess am I? God, help me. Give me wisdom. Please forgive me. Looking at all the things. Do I got the same stuff going on? You know, after we've done Matthew 5, uh, Matthew 7, we, we, go into, we go into their lives and say, brother, sister, this is what's going on. This is what the Word of God says. And we're to restore them gently. And if we don't, we fail to love one another. We fail to love one another. It is loving, it is kind, it is the Spirit of Christ to get into each other's lives and to help each other when we're at a fault, when we're falling, and to lift each other's burdens, and that's what he's talking about here. You should restore one gently, to mend them, to help them. Make sure you do it in the spirit of humility and gently. But watch yourselves, unless you also be tempted, carrying each other's burdens, and this way you also fulfill the law of Christ. And so we are no longer under the law of Moses. We're now under a new law, the law of Christ, the law of love. That means that we are to listen to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will be in us if we're born again, and He's going to be speaking to our hearts. Go talk to that person. I wouldn't do that. You know, whatever He says, and we're to listen to that. And he says, listen to that and, and, and bear each other's burdens. And so as this word for burdens, as we talked about last week, is an overwhelming circumstance, something that someone does, cannot carry alone. Sin is one of those burdens, falling, you know, falling into sin. You need someone to help pull you out. Anyone else? Yeah. There are certain things in, in, in life, just heavy burdens in our hearts. And so we're to go look for those things, being people who are filled with the Spirit, not in the flesh, and go help one another, lift them out of their burdens. He says, this is what would do that. And he says, watch yourself and all those types of things. And then he gets into, uh, you know, verse 5, when it says, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word shall share all good things with their instructor. And we talked about that last week. And it says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. What keeps us from sowing to the Spirit? What keeps us from, for, for example, Galatians, sowing into spiritual things? Because we're probably sowing to the flesh. 
And that's the war that we all have. You know, why, why aren't the things of God going forward? Why are, why are things in disarray? Why are, you know, all these things, why aren't, you know, and all these questions you ask, well, it's probably because the church is sowing into a lot of, uh, a lot of junk, sowing into the flesh. What are we sowing in at, I just, how many of you growing up, just remember a, a purer time? I'm not saying that there wasn't dirt going on. But I mean, there is such access to the flesh. It is everywhere, anything. It is bombarding 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's just there. Is it not? And that's the culture, that's the times we live in. And so now more than ever, do we need to deny ourselves of the flesh. But it's not just a life of no. It's a life of yes to the Spirit. Instead of sowing into the flesh constantly to feed the old man, the old nature, the things that gratify my desires, my wants, whatever I want to have. Now I'm to be doing the opposite, now sowing into the Spirit. Sowing into the Spirit. What does that look like? Well, Denise was talking about Wednesday night, so if you don't come out Wednesday nights, you're not going to be saved. So just wanted to get that. Oh, was that? No. You guys should instantly be going, ah, that's a Jesus hand, isn't it? No, but for me to tell you that it's okay for you to go ahead and, and go to church on Sunday and have no connection with the body whatsoever throughout the rest of the week, that is just, you are a target. And you're going to grow so weak in your faith you're, if you're not in the Word, if you're not in fellowship with these, because they're going to be in your life. They're going to be saying, hey, what's going on? They're going to be seeing what really is going on in your heart and your life, and they're going to be addressing those things, and that's how the Lord works. Pretty cool, huh? And so praise God for, for those of you who, have, uh, you know, who go to the you know, women's fellowship or are out there, guys getting together throughout the week and, and, and the, talking about the things of the Lord, praying for one another, having fun together, calling each other on the phone, emailing each other, getting into each other's lives. That's, that's body life, but if you are isolated, I would have you pray and seek about how to get connected with another brother or sister, not as a means of law, but as a means of love. Amen? And so, uh, reaping and sowing. What are, you, what are we sowing into? What am I sowing into? Because we're going to reap it. And so that's a very important principle. And so therefore, as we have opportunity, verse 10, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so, God's heart is to do good to all, is it not? Is he not good to those, to, to people who are total heathens and uh, would care less? All former heathens, raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. He's good, isn't he? The sun comes down, the seasons, the food, the beauty, the kindness that surrounds us every day. And I know we live in Disneyland compared to some parts in the world that are going through really hard times. But I mean, he is good. He is good. So especially to those who belong to the family of believers, he says. Yes, the world around us. But if we don't love our own, that tells something. So especially start here. Start at home. Start with the people around you. Preaching to the choir here, right? And, and then he goes on, and now he's gonna, this is where we're going to finish up. And we're just going to read some real big um, sections of Scripture. We're going to probably le- read like seven or eight chapters of, of Scripture here. And it's kind of like not normal, but I, I find that Paul explains it probably a little better than I do. 
but he says, see what large letters I use to write you with my own hand. Now, the King James Version, if you're reading the King James, says, see what, see what a large letter I've written to you. And that could be the case, but we believe it's better translated. See what large letters I'm writing to you, just a letter. And so some think that he's saying, see what a long letter I've written. Now, that doesn't really make sense to me because Galatians is only six chapters and Paul goes crazy on First, Second Corinthians, Romans, maybe Hebrews if you wrote it, you know. And so I don't think that's the case. And what would happen is Paul would, as most of these people, would have a, 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 someone who'd be writing down uh, as they would dictate to them. So Paul would be not at a desk painting it by himself. He'd be probably pacing the room and talking. And then someone with really good penmanship who did that for a living would be writing it down and making it to where they could read it, <laughs> right? And then at the end, the last part of every single letter, you would see, um, Paul says, see how I write with my own hand. He says, see what large letters I'm writing. And so some think that's for emphasis, and some think it's because he got uh, he he had a problem with his eyes. And if you remember back in I uh, wrote, wrote down the little verse here, yeah, Acts, Acts chapter fourteen verse eight, and he even references it to ch- in chapter four verse fifteen. You know that hey, you would uh, I know you would give gouge your own eyes out and give them to me if you could. I know that's kind of graphic, but you know. Uh, but he's saying in Acts chapter 14, verse 8, if you remember, he was in, I think, Lystra, yeah, Lystra and Derby, which is in Galatia, that area. Lystra, remember a, a man, they walked into the city, Barnabas and Paul, and then there was a guy who was lame, and they prayed, and the Lord healed this guy, and then they decided, oh, let's worship him. And so they go, oh, man, these two guys are great. They have power. And so they went ahead, and they uh, started to go sacrifice stuff to him. They called one Hermes and the other Zeus. And so they're going crazy, and Paul's like, no, stop sacrificing stuff. And everybody's just so enthralled with them. They're like, how awesome. You know, they're just having the Paul and Barnabas party there. It was just, I mean, how many of you would say no? Okay, like just one calf, it's okay. You know, I mean, they're just like, no, no, no. And what happens to people come over from, they followed him for, they kicked Paul out of town, the city before? Zealots, they came over, and overnight they turned these people's minds, and then they took stones. All these people were just worshiping him. They took stones, and they stoned Paul pretty much probably to death, and they left him there as were dead outside the city. And as they walked away, um, you know, the disciples came around him, and he rose again. So some people think that perhaps... That was the situation where, A, he went up to heaven, and, or B, that he lost his eyesight. It could have been when Jesus knocked him off the horse and he had the scales on his eyes and, and he fell down. It could, have been, um, um, it could have been malaria. People are talking about different types of things. Uh, but regardless of when he came to Galatia, he had eyesight problems. And he was having a lot of problems. And so he's, he's pleading to them and reminding them of their relationship, saying, see what large letters I've written. Remember when I came to you, that relationship we first had, the gospel I first gave you, um, how sweet everything was. And now look how messed it up, up it is. And he's also pointing to the fact that, how many of you have great penmanship? Raise your hand. This is not for you. see what large letters I use to write to you with my own hand 
I have to write in really large letters to be able to see what I'm writing. I am so messed up. My eyes don't work. Now, if you are trying to impress someone, does anybody have, those of you with poor penmanship, you have fun when you have to like write in front of other people and write notes. Carol knows I have wonderful writing. I write in tongues. Yeah, <laughs> I need an interpreter. I do. Paul's, he's making a picture. He see what large letters I've written to you with. With what I used with my own hand. I'm writing to you in person. And so what would happen at the end of the thing, they would write with their own handwriting to authenticate it, and they put some personal remarks about pers- people they knew so they couldn't, uh, they couldn't uh, say that it was someone, someone else. Uh, you know, false letters from false teachers going around. But it says those, verse 12, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. Would I be trying to impress you with this handwriting? Isn't that just our day and age, the day of the image? If someone doesn't look awesome, if they don't speak well, if they don't have the shiny, pretty things, we just tend to go, you know what? I'll just move in, moving on. You wonder why teachers of certain bents and backgrounds and situations who are preaching health, wealth, prosperity gospel are so, you know, so popular, so easily swaying people. They're appealing to the flesh. They're appealing to the carnal nature. They're appealing to a self-righteousness, not a God-righteousness. They're appealing to how to uh, meet your carnal needs. Who doesn't want to win the lottery? Who doesn't want to have health? Who doesn't want to have all those things on the surface? But when I look at Jesus, I see a king who died at 33. I see he was rejected. I see he was beaten. I see his own disciples left him. I see that he spoke truth to people, and people hated him for it. I see he was isolated. He was alone a lot of the time. No one got him. I see he didn't have a home. I see he walked around and was... I'm constantly in danger of his life the whole time. That's not the prosperity gospel, is it? But he's saying, I want to, you know, these people who are coming to talk to you, these people who have been influencing you, they, they want to impress people by means of the flesh. They want to put on a good show. And they're trying to compel you to be circumcised. Jesus spoke about this external righteousness. When we think of someone that is whole, I mean, you see it, it's quintessential. What happens every single time in a movie when a Christian is represented, you know, it's some high, pious, pontiff-type person, or, uh, you know, on TV, they always bring in the righteous reverend, blah, 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 you know, with all the degrees and all the books and all the things, and they sit there and they go, now tell us. Nothing wrong with having degrees and all that stuff, but I'm just saying that that is how the world uh, looks at things. That's how they value things. They value them on a education, experience, social status, wealth, what you look like, all those types of things. When God looks right past all that and looks into the heart of a person, does he not? And Paul, they said he was short and he was probably chubby and and he didn't write well, and he looked weird because he got beat up a lot. Probably was missing some teeth. 
Let's have Paul come talk at our church. How awesome. Um, I won't be here that Sunday. But what there was was the power of Christ radiating from that man. The outward man was perishing, but the inward man was being renewed day by day. And so flip over to Matthew 23. Matthew 23, then Jesus said to the the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. You must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, uh, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. The phylacteries were those, I don't know if you've seen Orthodox Jews, they have these boxes on their heads and they have the scriptures rolled on them. And they have them on their arms as well. And it's to keep your word, the word on, in, your, in, your, in your mind and on your hand. You know, it's a, it's a picture. And the tassels that come down from their prayer shawls, four on each corner, the woman with the issue of blood reached out and touched the hem of his garment. It was the tassel. And the tassels were tied into 613 knots, each one. Um, so you'd remember the 613 laws. It's like walking around with a little Bible reminder, verse of the day on there, right? And, and so uh, these guys would make them very wide. Look how spiritual I am. And he would, they would make their tassels really long. Gosh, their tassels are longer. They must be of spiritual importance because of this external sign. They love, verse 6, the place of honor at banquets they want us, the, and the most important seats at church. Notice we have no people here, <laughs> except for me, I guess. Uh, they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi, teacher, teacher, professor, pastor, yes. How can I help you? That's who I am. Look at me. But you are not to be called rabbi or teacher, for you have one teacher. And you are all brothers. And do not call anyone nerf father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructor, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And now he goes into woe to you teachers. Now it's really interesting if you want to get into this further, you can go into Luke chapter 11. And he does this speech at a Pharisee's house at his dinner table. And teachers of the law and Pharisees were there. He says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Pass the butter. You shut the door of the kingdom. Of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, you yourselves do not enter it, nor will you let those enter who are trying. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. 
Woe to you, blind guides, you say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by what they owe. You blind fools, which is greater the gold or the temple that makes, makes the gold sacred. And so Jesus is pointing out that they are externally focused. They don't realize the value of the internal. And he goes on and says, if anyone, you also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by the oath. You blind men which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by and everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and the one who sits on it. And he goes, verse 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spice, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, Justice, mercy, and faithfulness, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. They would strain out a gnat so that it wouldn't be an unclean meat. And yet he says, like, you swallow a camel, like the most dirty creature on earth. Verse 25, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside... The inside, they uh, are full of greed and self-indulgence. They wash the outside of the cup. He's talking about all these rituals, but the inside of the cup, what's going on on the inside? You wash the outside of your bodies. You make your hair right. You do all these wonderful things, Pharisees. But what's going on on the inside of you? Has that been washed? Has that been clean? First, clean up the inside of the cup, and then the outside will also be clean. This is the, the essential parts of all world religion. You either clean from the inside or you try to clean up from the outside. Jesus cleans us up from the inside. All other religions try to clean you up from the outside. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of Uh, full of the bones of dead men and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And he goes on. There's this external righteousness, this external righteousness that the people who were trying to convert to the church were, were appealing. It all looked good on the outside. They said the right things. They did the right prayers. They went to all the right meetings. They did all the, everything, but in the inside, they were, they were dead. Jesus told a parable. If you remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, he said a Pharisee went into the temple and he prayed, oh God, thank you that I am not like that sinner and this person and what they did and it names all the names of all these things. Thank you that I'm not like that. And then a tax collector stood from afar, not even feeling worthy to go in the temple, and he cried out, oh God, forgive me a sinner. And he pounded on his chest. And God said, I tell you that that tax collector went home righteous before God. See the difference in an external righteousness based upon works, what I have not done and what I have done based upon, oh God, forgive me, who you are. And that's what Paul is getting at here. Back into Galatians chapter 6, he says, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. They're trying to get you to be like them, that external righteousness. And the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
Their motivation was the fear of men, not the fear of God. They appeared to fear men on the outside, but they, re- they really didn't want to do is they didn't want to experience persecution. They didn't want to be ostracized by their own people. They didn't want to be told, be, not fit in because they loved the position. They loved the authority. They loved the attributes. They loved all those things rather than loving God. We can be in the same way. We can love our jobs more than we love the gospel. We can love our relatives more than we love the Lord. And we say, rather than doing fearing you, I will fear them. I will fear what happens in my relationship with them. Then when the Lord, the Holy Spirit is sharing us to share. So we can, the hypocrisy goes all the way around. We experience these things too. I don't want to make it like these guys are, are far removed from us, the ones Jesus are experiencing. It, it's, it's the potential within each one of us, is it not? And it happens within each, within each one of us. It says, not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they want to be circumcised that they may boast in your circumcision in the flesh. You're either a Genesis 3-7 Christian or a, you know, a Genesis, uh, yeah, Genesis 3-21 Christian, basically those two. You either take the leaves and put them on yourself or God clothes you in his righteousness in his covering, in his provision with Jesus. You're either, those are the two world religions. You just, no matter where you go, whatever church you walk into, no matter what belief system, no matter where you are, how complicated, convoluted, it just comes down to two things. Either God has done it or you're doing it. And God has prescribed only one way of doing it, through Jesus Christ, to make us clean. And that goes for us in this room as well. The end of your life if you're thinking that the reason why you will be saved is because of what you've done, your good works, woe to you. But if at the end of your life you claim to have be saved and yet there are no good works, <laughs> Jesus says, woe to you because you were never born again is basically what he says. And you will know a tree by its fruit. You see, the righteousness we, we have is not our own. It's not based on works, but we were created in Christ Jesus, a new creation to walk in the good works that he's prepared for us because. And so he goes on, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus. And we're gonna quickly go through this stuff, but may I never boast Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, which through the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May I never boast. If anybody had a reason to boast, it would be Paul. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Left. Let's just start in verse 16. Like I said, I'm going to be reading, reading big swaths. So you had all these people who are boasting in what they had done, all their accomplishments in the Lord, all the things that they had done. Circumcision. I've been circumcised. I was baptized on this day. I went to church this many times. I was a member of so-and-so as a means of making yourself right with God. And Paul goes, okay, you want to boast? I'll boast. If anybody had a Reason to boast, Paul boasts. And so this is Paul's boasting chapter and a half. 
starting in verse 16, it says, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as, I, as, as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. And he's making it clear, this is not the Lord, this is me acting as a fool. Verse 18 says, since many are boasting in the way the world does, I will boast too. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we too were weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind mind to talk like this. I am more. I'm more than a servant of Christ. He's being facetious, right? I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I have received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one, what Jesus received. He received it five times. Three times I was beaten with rods, and once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night again in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger of rivers, in dangers of bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger of the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God of the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. And he goes off and talks about Damascus. And he talks about the visions he has and all these things. Paul had reason to boast in his accomplishments, his pedigree, his religious background. He had every reason to just say, look at me, God accept me based upon what I've done, who I am, what I've done for your kingdom, all these types of things. Philippians 3, flip over to Philippians 3, right? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. I know some of you get upset when I repeat stuff, but it's biblical. (laughs) And by the way, it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, meaning the people want you to be circumcised. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Jesus Christ, who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. How many of you were baptized as kids? So cool. You, you and Paul hanging out. You have reason to boast. Circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, how many of you are members of a church or have attended certain things or have a religious pedigree background? Your parents are pastors. 
of the tribe of Benjamin. He goes off, well, I'm with these people. A Hebrew of Hebrews in regards to the law of Pharisee. How many of you have kept things and done things and doing all the great, wonderful things? I'm not saying these things are bad. Because as for zeal, how many of you are zealous for the Lord? How many of you, some of you have persecuted the church? Just kidding, come on now. And as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever these gains to me, I now consider them loss for the sake of Christ. What is, more, uh, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, refuse, dung is the word, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a, what? Righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God is on the basis of faith. And so the world has been crucified to Paul. What is the world? It's this old life. Romans 6, it's also sin. The life of sin has been crucified. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Galatians 2. Romans 7, though I've been, I have died to the law. So all of my good deeds in the past, all the things that I would say are a reason for God to accept me. All the all of my sin I've died to. I've died to the law. I'm dead. Is what Paul is saying. I'm no longer of this world. You're no longer of this world. You're now a new creation, and that's all that matters. So, church, learn to live by the Spirit, is what he's saying. Learn to live by the Spirit. I want to read by a bunch of, a bunch of other things. But go read Romans 6, Romans 7, Romans 12, 2. No longer be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Or the washing of the water of the Word. And so he says in verse 15, uh, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. The new creation when you receive Christ, you are now made a new creation, and that's what counts. And he goes on. He says, Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God, to those who are ruled by God, the true Israel. Not just an external Israel, but the Israel that's really governed by God in their heart, is what he's saying. And from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, and we already read about them. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. And notice he says peace and grace at the end of this letter, not at the beginning. Flip to Ephesians 2. Actually, Ephesians 1. And we're going to end here. This is where we boast. This is where we boast. This is where we proclaim. This is what we talk about. Praise be to the God of Father, verse 3, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God has blessed you. For he chose us, what he chose you, before the foundation of, of creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined you. He predestined you. For adoption, so he's adopted you. These are all the things we're boasting about God for through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us. He's given us grace. 
in the one he loves, in Jesus. In him we have redemption. You have redemption. You've been bought through his blood. You have the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the richness of God's grace that he's lavished upon us. And with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. He lets you in on his plan according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time reaches fulfillment, to bring unity to all things on heaven and earth. And in him, verse 11, we are also chosen. You've been chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will in order that we, who were the first to put on hope of Christ, may be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel and your salvation, gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promise of the Holy Spirit He's given you his Holy Spirit, who is deposited, guaranteeing our inheritance. You're a son, you're a daughter. The proof that you have eternal life is by the Holy Spirit. The proof that we are in the Holy Spirit is that we no longer walk in the flesh, but we walk in the Spirit. And so that's what Paul is getting at, walk in the Spirit, church. Walk in the Spirit. You are, it's a different life, a different life. No longer under the law, but under grace. Learn what that is. Walk in it. And it's not going to be a lawless, fleshy thing. It's going to be full of love, grace, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control, those things. Embrace it. And I just want you to encourage you to pray for one another and to be in the Word together and to seek one another out that we would be awakened to the reality of what we've been born into. Like little babies realizing who their mom and dad are for the first time. Realizing who our Father is. Waking up and starting to mimic Him and to seek Him for all of our needs and everything. And this is what we need, church. We need grace and we need the Spirit. More and more every day. We need to grow in His Word. Opening His Word. Feasting upon His Word every day. And let Him change us from the inside out. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these big um, truths. And it is so evident in my life and uh, this world around me, Lord, that we are an external people. We are so based upon image and what is projected. And Lord, when you are looking through all that into the heart, So God, for anyone in this room who has been operating with an external righteousness instead of just saying thank you for the promise, anyone who's been putting on the leaves, who's been adorning the hair and looking the part when inside we're full of dead men's bones, we ask that you would come and restore And that we'd simply say, God help, I trust in your provision for my weakness, not my leaves, but your son who died for my sins. For my faults, I trust in you to cleanse me and lift me up. For my weakness, I trust in your strength. For my eternity, I trust in your love and your truth. Nothing of me can earn this but it's just because of your good pleasure and your will. And you've made it known to me. You've made it known to us. And so I receive it. And I pray that this happened. And Lord, I pray that you would keep your church safe this morning. 
pray that you would wake us up to the wiles of the devil. And I pray that as we go today and there's flesh all over the place and we can be so entertained by football and whatever it might be, which is fun, but we keep it in perspective, Lord. It's all going away. And Lord, that we would not invest in so, so much into this world, but begin more and more to find ways to sow into the spirit, to sow into heaven and eternity. So do that in the hearts of your church this week as we go. And guard us, put the gospel on our lips and on our feet that we would go and spread your kingdom instead of spreading uh, whatever else we're spreading. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.